Welcome back to Claim the Stage. This is episode two, Life Advice from the Detourist. This is a podcast for women who want to be professional speakers. I'm Angela Lucier. I am your host, and I call myself the unlikely speaker. I'm a former shy girl turned professional speaker, author of three books, a trainer, and I'm the founder of the Speaking School for Women, where I train women to become inspiring paid speakers. I guess you could say I'm all about public speaking and helping women find their voice. If you missed episode one, you should definitely go back and start there. I give you an overview of what to expect, what this podcast is all about, and why I am doing this. If you're caught up, then great. Why are we here today? Well, we're going to celebrate and learn from the one and only Amy Ostriker, also known as The Detourist. Amy has an unlikely story and one that should be heard. Now, before I get into Amy's story, I want to say that this was my first interview I conducted for this new podcast. I recorded it in my office, which is a 1,200 foot or square foot studio space. And to muffle the echo and give the sound a better quality, I built my own mini sound booth. It's pretty hilarious looking. Like, it's... It's pretty arts and craftsy, we'll say. <laughs> if you want to see a picture of the box I made for my microphone, go to my website, angelalucier.us slash podcast. Couple notes about the interview. You're going to hear a few tones at the beginning and they do go away, but that was, again, my first interview. So I was learning how to use the software and was afraid to inter- interrupt Amy because she was on a, a pretty awesome tangent. So you'll hear a few of those, but don't freak out. Just kind of sit through them and you'll be fine. And uh, again, I want to thank you for being part of something new. <laughs> um, starting things doesn't mean being perfect, as we know, right? And this podcast is a great example of learning as you do it. So it's all about getting better every day, not waiting until you're perfect to start something new. So you'll be part of my experiment and you can grow with me. So in our interview, you'll find out how Amy took devastating news as a teenager and turned it into opportunity. I think you'll look at your own challenges in life a little differently and see how those hardships become part of your story and part of the journey that makes you who you are. So without further ado, my interview with Amy Ostriker. Today we have Amy Ostriker on our podcast, and she is a PTSD peer-to-peer specialist, artist, author, writer for the Huffington Post, speaker for TEDx and Rain, a health advocate, survivor, award-winning actress, and playwright, eagerly sharing the lessons learned from trauma through her writing, uh, mixed media art, performance, and inspirational speaking. That is a mouthful. Um, I want Amy to tell more about her story and how she became all of these things. So Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Excited. Yeah, me too. And there's so much about you that's just so fascinating. And I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, your your journey to where you are today and I know you had a lot of moments where you could have taken many different paths and how you became this inspiring speaker and author or or no paths at all <laughs> yeah that one too yeah <laughs> um uh, well you know my my story's a little unconventional um or is anyone um you know I thought I had my life all figured out and, and I was theater that, that was what I wanted to do. I was kind of born and bred musical theater ham, and 
I, uh, you know, was set to go to college and study theater, and that was going to be my life. Um, then um, I developed a really sudden blood clot when I was uh, 18, the, the actually the April of my senior year. And I was just in a lot of pain that night. And so my father, you know, took me for an x-ray just to see what was going on. And, um, you know, my stomach literally exploded. Um, it hit the ceiling of the operating room and both my lungs collapsed and I almost died. And, and when I woke up from a coma months later, um, doctors told me that I couldn't eat or drink anymore and I didn't have a stomach. <laughs> and they didn't know if I'd ever be able to again. And so that was, you know, talk about, you know, life taking a detour um, and waking up with a totally new reality. And for someone that, you know, even as a teenager, I was really ambitious. I was very clear on my goals. I knew what I wanted to do. And now I really had to stop and evaluate everything. Um, so that was, you know, very um, devastating. But mostly, you know, the biggest concern was, you know, as a performer, Really, I liked performing because I liked making my mark on the world. And I was worried that at 18 I was, you know, sort of going to be a has-been. Um, so maybe it's because, you know, I was never, like, sick before um, or in that kind of circumstance where I'm in hospitals. But I didn't really know how to act like I was, you know, sick. So I just sort of went and... Um, and carried on as, you know, like, okay, you know, I'm as long as I'm here in the hospital, you know, I'm still going to feel alive in the ways that I can. And so because creativity had always been such a, you know, a guiding life for me through this, I, I just used creative expression to help me kind of process what I was feeling and, and just to make my mark or feel like I was vital in some way and I think that really helped me feel sane like I was still a person and you know not my medical circumstances which can feel really overwhelming when you suddenly wake up in the ICU and you can only see the ceiling and you're covered in tubes and bags and, and whatnot um, so you know gradually and and I ended up calling this a detour in my life because at first when I woke up I thought oh my God, why me? I hate my life. How how did my life just ruin overnight? But, you know, and now it's been 11 years. But I see that every little twist and turn has an obstacle, has led to some kind of opportunity. Um, one of the first examples was, um, you know, to cope with not eating and drinking for for years. I, you know, I actually locked myself in my room and I journaled for hours because, you know, I had to shut out any outside stimulation to deal with being in the outside world with not even a, a sip of water. Um, and so all those journal pages, you know, eventually I ended up putting those all together after I'd been on the Today Show. Um, and I wrote a one-woman musical about my life called Gutless and Grateful. And that was the first time I really told my story. Um, you know, I had, you know, written it for myself, but I had never really shared it. And now I was just kind of sharing it for total strangers and New York theater critics, which was, you know, a huge risk. But what I didn't realize was that, you know, although what I went through was extreme, um, the emotions I experienced, you know, 
the you know frustration and the anger and dealing with uncertainty those are common themes that we all deal with in life you know we we all have setbacks or deal with things going in life that we don't expect and so that's how I kind of coined the term um, detour. Um, you know, not coined it, but you know, I, I started to approach everything like, okay, this was a, a beautiful detour in my life. And somehow this detour has led to all these wonderful things. And, you know, people started resonating with the idea that, oh, you know, a detour in life, you know, although kind of frustrating at first, if we follow it, um, and just see where the path leads, it could really turn into something we had never expected that somehow changes who we are. And so, you know, I ended up calling that, you know, if you take that detour in life and just, you know, keep your eyes open for any kind of flower or opportunity along the way, then you're a detourist. And that kind of stuck. Um, and um, that was just the subject of my TED Talk. It, it's the subject of my upcoming book. And now I've been touring my show across the country not only the theaters for four years, but now as a mental health and sexual assault prevention program, because, you know, there are also themes of sexual assault in my story as well, right before I got sick. Um, but, but I realized that, you know, everything I've been through, you know, these are things that, that people really, people really need to know how to build resilience from within when there is no roadmap, um, when there are no resources. And so just this whole drive from telling my story, it led to, you know, I discovered art in hospitals and, and found it a great way to express what I couldn't put into words yet. You might show all my writing. You know, all this came from just the really big desire to tell my story and then to use my story to help others. And then everything from there just, just took off. Um, so that's the short of it. <laughs> <laughs> that is an amazing story. I feel like we could do a one year long podcast like on your story, but hopefully we can we can get some of the interesting tidbits from you on how you are so resilient and and I'm interested in your mindset because you hit so many moments when you could have said, "You know what? I can't eat or drink i can't I can't like operate normally in society, so I'm just gonna like stay home and watch TV and just sulk. But instead, you you turn that into an opportunity to go out and share your story, and and you found strength in that, and now you're inspiring people who are also dealing with difficulty. Was that a mindset you were taught, or is that something that just kind of came upon you one day, or how did you adopt that way of thinking? You know, it's I've always. Uh, honestly, I've been like an irritatingly positive person my entire life. <laughs> but, but more than that, it comes from, I think, being like type A accomplishment where I would get really depressed and go into those, oh, I hate my life kind of thing. But then I would that would make me really antsy because I felt like when I was depressed, I wasn't getting anything done. And honestly, the drive through all of this has been you know, waking up and my biggest fear, oh my God, you know, I'm going to be a husband at 18. Mm -hmm. And I think that drive that it was almost like a manic desire that really kept me alive that, you know, I have to, I have to get myself out there. I have to tell people about this just because the insanity that I had to deal with, you know, waking up and with all of these, you know, things on me and just a new world was, it was unbelievable. And and there's something to be said for, you know, sharing your story um, can make you feel understood and make you feel normal. 
Um, and I needed that. So I think that was the drive. You know, I have a line in my show that says, whatever I do, I do obsessively. And it's true. That sort of fueled all the really hard, hard work I put into getting myself out there. <laughs> so is that the advice you share with people when you're on stage or you're, you're talking with them in maybe a workshop about overcoming adversity, dealing with detours and unexpected moments in life, do you say, rather than be ashamed of these difficulties, go out and talk about it and connect with people through that and you'll find strength in that? Or do you give different advice? I do, at the same time, understanding that that's not just magic, like tell your story. I also, you know, people sort of see that I've sort of just gotten all over the place all at once. But I also tell people that was not the case. I've been trying to, you know, it's taken me 10 years to do this. And, you know, telling your story is very fragile. Um, so, you know, a lot of people ask me this, like, what if I'm not ready to tell my story yet? And my advice is, you know, you're absolutely right. And so I say, you know, first of all, you have to know that your story is worth telling. Even if you can't tell it yet, you just need to know that. The second thing is, if you're not ready to tell your story, hear the stories of others. You know, read, read, you know, folk tales and mythology or read memoirs and biographies because what that does is, you know, I believe no one can really change until they're ready to. But it plants the seeds in our awareness that when we're ready to get to that next step, you know, we resource those stories and we remember other times that other people have done things that now we're ready to do. Um, so, so I don't feel like everyone needs to get out there and just start telling their stories. Um, you know, sometimes we need like a, a midway point. Like for me, um, art was a great way to express things that I couldn't put into words yet. Cause you know, the act of, Hey, you know, public speaking scares the crap out of people. You know, sometimes actually speaking the words is very difficult, but you know, we might be at the point where we're ready to, you know, doodle about it <laughs> or dance about it or, you know, put on a song and really feel that story. So there are lots and lots of like midway steps we can take. Um, but I think the guiding thought is that, our stories worth sharing. And from an you know, entrepreneurial um, point of view, you know, people need to hear stories behind your business. That's how we relate. And that's what makes you stand out. And you have to believe that your story is unique and it's your unique advantage and it needs to be heard. How do you recommend speakers integrate their story into their advice, especially if it's a woman who owns a business and she's promised some sort of takeaway for her audience, like she's going to teach them something about how to market themselves better or something like that. How would you recommend speakers sort of tie their story into that information they're sharing so that it's effective and they're also authentically communicating who they are and why their work is important to them? Well, first of all, you know, I know sometimes it can seem forced that like, oh, you know, they want me to put a little kind of personal anecdote in this. Um, you don't want to just tell stories for story's sake. You have to think about what your values are before you even start thinking about what kind of kind of story you're going to tell. What are your values and what is the story behind, you know, setting up this business based on those values? Um 
you know, what is the narrative that people can relate to? What, you know, what problem are you trying to solve? You know, there's something universal there. Um, obviously, if you're trying to deliver it to a large group of people that, that people need to hear. So, you know, find those themes in your own story, um, you know, to become, you know, a bold and powerful le uh, leader, you know, we have to take hold of those stories um, to become anchored in who we are. Um, and once like we know who we are, um, we're grounded in those values that drive us where we need to go next. So I always say that like values in life are like arrows that sort of point us the, to the next point we need to go in our lives. So, so find a story that you feel like really connects you with what's important to you, like what your values are, and that's what's gonna speak to, to your audience, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, and I guess that leads to the next question, which is how do you determine your values? <laughs> uh, well, that actually, I was, that's sort of a good question to say next, because um, um, a question I get asked a lot is like, what's one, you know, what's one step we can take to, you know, knowing how to make decisions on the detour. And I always just say the easiest thing, you know, there is, if you want a quick fix kind of one, two, three thing, start with a gratitude list. And, you know, and I always say before people start rolling their eyes and saying, ah, don't give me corny crap. Um, here's why this works. Um, you know, when I was, I learned this when I was in the hospital after my 27th surgery, I just out of sheer boredom and I couldn't eat or drink and I needed a distraction. I took a page and I labeled it from A to Z and I forced myself and believe me, it was really forced at that point. I forced myself to come up with one thing that I'm grateful for, for every letter of the alphabet. And I did that one day and it was hell. And then I tried to do it the next day and the next day even if it was like a huge stretch for words. And what I found was that the more I made those lists, I started to see common like themes emerge. And I realized those like items on my grateful list, those weren't just like positive things I was trying to look for. They were actually rooted in my values. Like what I was grateful for was based in what was important to me. And after like weeks of making those gratitude lists, because I was in that hospital that time for months, um, I started to see what my values were and I started to realize what I'm about. Um, and, and I always tell people that works because, you know, when you know what you're grateful for, you know what you're about. Um, so, you know, if you need like a, like a simple writing exercise to help you with that, I'd say, you know, maybe because I love lists, but but make a daily gratitude list and and just be aware of okay what are the common things that I see myself finding gratitude for and that's what's important to you. That is brilliant and so simple to to just start looking around and saying yeah what what am I grateful for? So can you share a couple of the, your values and things you're grateful for? Totally. Um, for so for me like nature is everything to me. I mean nature gives me perspective. Um, it's also, you know, something constant and something changing. So I use nature a lot, you know, when I was healing because, um, listen, you know, waking up like, and you're not like in your high school classroom anymore and your world has changed and you wonder where the old world went, you know, nature felt like something that I could go back to, you know, that was some kind of sameness of who I was. And I think we all can find some kind of personal um, connection to nature. You know, obviously my relationships, um, you know, I know that I'm strong, but I 
definitely couldn't have done this without my family. I'm extremely lucky. I have the most amazing support system. Um, my whole, my, you know, three brothers and parents just dropped everything and lived in the ICU with me for months. Uh, you know, some values are things that we might not have totally uh, conquered yet. Like a big value to me is balance in my life. And I'm not, honestly, I'm not good at that. I'm a workaholic. Man, I tell people it's because I was in a coma, so I'm making up for lost time. <laughs> you know, but you know, I don't know how to relax. I just don't. Um, but, but it's a value of mine and something I'm striving towards. So some values, you know, we don't have to have under our belts, but we can know that they're important to us. Awesome. So along those lines, you are involved in many different things. Your one woman show, your motivational speaking, business and leadership speaking, writing articles, painting, also going to college. How do you balance all of that and still have time to care for yourself? And I'm asking because a lot of our listeners are women who own their own business, who feel like they're constantly behind the eight ball, constantly trying to catch up and their to-do list just keeps getting longer. So have you figured out ways to manage all of those pieces of your life and still have time for yourself and feel calm and maybe feel, you know, like you're, you've still got some, some energy to do other things. Listen, it's a struggle like everyone. Um, what I realized though, and I think it's a really liberating realization for all of us is that everything on your list, all the important things, if you're slow and steady and, and, you know, moderate about things, they'll get done, you know? Mm. So, um, one thing I learned, like a little example is like, you have to put something for you first before you dive into any of your work. Like, um, you know, right now, like um, I'm not really selling my art or doing any like visual art business related, um, but it's important to me. You know, it relaxes me. It gets me sort of creative and it's important to do something that's not productive at all. And, you know, I learned the hard way that a lot of times I'll wake up and think, okay, I'm going to get to that, you know, but I got to get these assignments. Done. And then, you know, the day goes and, and that was it. But, you know, it's amazing. If I wake up and say, I don't care what I have to do tonight, I'm going to spend a half hour in the art room and do something for me. You'll find that, you know, everything you really have to do will get done. And the same is, you know, capping it on the other end saying, okay, I'm going to work, you know, and do what I can do until this time. And then, you know, I'm shutting off my laptop, um, I'm getting a good night's sleep, and, you know, your priorities will, will somehow get done. Um, but I think it's important to have, you know, to make yourself have those um, new disciplined limits. Yeah, and in a sense, you're putting yourself on your to-do list. Like, okay, <laughs> you yeah. know, like making sure you're making that time for yourself. That's great. Yeah, and listen, it's hard. It really is because it doesn't seem, you know, it, sometimes it feels like, oh, let me just, like, you know, this will never get done. But it's funny, you know, everything that needs to be taken care of will, will, will be taken care of. You know, that's just sort of a surrender thing we have to trust. Yep. Now, you and I talked a couple of months ago, and you told me about an interesting approach you use when you're booking speaking gigs. And I remembered it because it was it was non-conventional and it was effective and I thought it was a great example of how hard work can pay off and the example you gave was calling colleges can you tell us about how you book speaking gigs um, at college campuses oh yeah um <laughs> you know well this sort of ties into the larger thing you know when I got like the TED talk you know now that I'm touring and, and things like that like people write to me all the time saying 
oh, cool, I'm getting a TikTok. So like, I would like to know, you know how I do that. Um, so can you tell me, you know, how you get booked for a TED Talk? Or can you tell me how, you know, I'm supposed to get booked for these colleges? And, you know, there maybe, well, there is, but I, I don't do it. There is no, you know, college agency I'm using or, like, mass list that I send out. Like, I literally, I go to, you know, I look up, okay, colleges in uh, New Jersey, and I look at every college, and I look all over their site to find a directory which somehow can be really really difficult and you know I find like the you know disabilities counselor um you know counseling center um student affairs and I send them each individual letters and you're right if you think well that's really time consuming because it totally is and I've sent out thousands of emails thousands and I didn't hear back for months and you know I booked quite a few this year, but I sent out thousands. And that can be so discouraging when you hear radio silence. But it's also really addicting because um, you think like, oh, well, maybe that 5,000 and second one might get it. And then when you hear back, it's like, oh, now I got to extend like a thousand more. Um, <laughs> so I'm sort of relieved like the college season is like done for now because like I can only do so many emails, but um, apparently not. But but that's, that's how I did it. That was the, the magic trick. I uh, just Lots of time. And and it's smart to do that because you're sort of making that first connection. You're not waiting for a call for speakers or hoping to meet the right person. You're making those connections. And maybe that first connection isn't the one that's going to lead to something, but you keep honing your message and you keep on trying different things, and eventually it works out. And so I think that's an important message to share because I know a lot of speakers are kind of waiting for the conference that they want to speak at to post a call for speakers instead of proactively reaching. Out. Right, I apply for those too. Yeah. Um, but but you gotta do a little of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So so yeah. <laughs> yeah. What advice do you have for women who are interested in becoming paid speakers? What do you think is a good starting point? Ooh, paid speakers. First, start by just speaking, <laughs> and don't worry about payment. Because you know, one thing. Um, I want to make sure everyone knows about these conferences is they are great exposure um, and you network and you meet a lot of people, but unless, I mean, you know, I was just the keynote and I didn't get paid, but you're not going to get paid for conferences, but you will make valuable connections and it will be a really good experience. Um, for paid speaking gigs, um, it's, it's difficult. You know, listen, even colleges with a huge budget, it's hard to get them to want to pay for, you know, travel and all that stuff. And then you have to budget in, okay, you know, how much do I have to pay for getting there and, and how much, you know, budgeting your time and energy, you know, you're only one you. Um, so I'd say start by just speaking and then you really, you really have to, to settle for whatever you can get at, at first. Um, you know, like I'm an actress too, so I'm used to like, you know, don't quit your day job. Um, but you really have to start small with that and not expect much. At least, you know, listen, I can only talk for me, um, but, but it's tough. It, it's tough. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell us a little bit about your one woman show and, and how you put that together and what's the, what's the theme and 
and where are you going to be doing that in the next couple of months? So, you know, talk about a detour. Um, the biggest thing, um, my biggest, you know, fear, you know, we came from the home is like as a musical theater ham, I couldn't sing, I couldn't dance. I was like, you know, my parents were trying to get me off of Facebook because I was like watching all my friends go on to get like national tours and feeling depressed as heck. Um, and, you know, who knew by this journaling, just all the pain I was going through in isolation, you know, I would journal for 16 hours a day. And so that ended up with thousands and thousands of pages that were just there. Then be actually because of my artwork, I ended up on the Today Show. And Kathy Lee Gifford and a wonderful composer, David Friedman, they wrote a song for me on that show that someone else sang. Um, but I was always kind of my, you know, aggressive little musical theater ham. So I knew who David Freeman was. I knew he was a big deal. So I went up to him and I said, oh, hey, um, do you want to work on my cabaret act with me? And, you know, he didn't know if I could sing or at all. But, you know, he said, sure, you know, why not? And um, we started working together. And um, I used all of those old journal entries and put some songs together. And this really just... Um, premiered as a little cabaret act in New York. And you know, like I said, what I didn't expect was the impact that my story would have, not just because it was like a shocking, inspiring story, but people could actually relate to it. Like that, for someone who had lived in isolation, was unfathomable. So that was really the drive that inspired me to take it not only just to theaters, but you know, to conferences, to colleges. That's when I put the whole mental health slant on it. So now the mental health and sexual assault program is I do the show, it's a 70 minute musical. Um, and then with whatever energy I've left in my body after I've been singing and dancing all over stage all my life, um, I give a talk back on you know, why it's important to understand post-traumatic stress, um, how to build resilience, um, how to deal with life on a detour, you know, coping strategies. And then for colleges, I like to do um, a panel of, um, of uh, wellness staff, maybe the student leaders of a health organization, where we talk about like what wellness services are available to students on campus. Um, and it's been just an amazing experience. And um, I have a few more colleges left for this year. I'm doing Central Penn next week. And I've been also, you know, I just did it in Hawaii as the keynote for the uh, International Conference on Diversity and Disability. And I'm super excited that I'm going to be taking it to D.C. next month at the Mental Health America Conference. So, you know, I never would have thought that just doing it in a, you know, in a cabaret club in New York in 2012 would lead to all these amazing experiences. Wow. Your story sounds like when... When life is happening and you don't know what it means, but you just keep moving forward, and then all of a sudden everything starts to make sense. Like, that's what I keep thinking of, because you're like, oh, they thought they decided maybe we should work on this, this play together. And you're like, I have thousands of pages of journal entries. <laughs> you know, you have, that, that's the most important thing. You have to say yes to it. Yeah. If you feel like, you know, in your gut you need to, you have to say yes. Because listen, I was never medically all the way there yet. Um, and a lot of people just told me I should wait till I was healthy. But if I waited till I was healthy, I would still be there. Hmm. You know, I think the bigger message is you can't wait for life to be perfect or like, oh, let me wait till I have, um, 
you know, my speech, I'll figure it out. Or like I have a little more um, experience. You know, you just have to start. Um, and the biggest example now is, you know, my life now medically still sucks. <laughs> you know, my 27 surgery was awful and I'm still dealing with that. Um, and if I waited for that, I think I would still never be doing anything. Wow. Uh, you know, my life is not perfect right now. I'm still trying to figure out the medical thing. You know, my 27 surgery did not go well at all. Um, so, like, you know, life isn't the easiest right now. And, you know, a lot of people, when they see my story, you know, they may think, well, you know, I'm still not there yet. You know, it's so, you know, if you're a detourist, you're technically, you're on the road, you know, and that's all that matters. Yes, so, yeah. yeah, you start from anywhere. That's awesome. All right. I have five quick questions for you to finish our interview. Okay. One is, what advice do you have for women who are afraid of public speaking? Ooh, that might be a little difficult for me because my thing is I'm a shameless musical theater. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding about that. But afraid of public speaking, then I go back to what I said before. Um, first of all, you know, you listen to the stories of others um, and you you sort of become empowered by your own truth. And don't even think about that next step. Don't even think about public speaking. I really think the key is just believing your story is worth sharing. Because you listen, public speaking might not be right for you, but it may be right for you to start sharing your stories in other ways, mm -hmm. you know, through your work, through your helping other people, um, through some kind of medium. But I think the guiding thought has to be, not only do I have a story, and it's a hell of a story, but people need to hear my story, and it can help other people. I think that's just an effort. Even if you just write that on your mirror, I think that's just, you start with that, and you don't, you don't think about the next step. I love it. The second question is, do you have a personal operating philosophy, and if so, what is it? Um, operating philosophy? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it would be that, you know, it's the line from my show that, you know, I don't think things happen for a reason. I really think you make things happen for a reason. Um, so, you know, uh, beautiful detours can happen, but you're the one that has to, you know, walk the path. Um, so you have to keep going. Um, you know, I always say, like, hope, you know, doesn't just come to you from, like, a beautiful mountaintop. You know, hope, is a, hope sucks sometimes. It's a, it's a job. Sometimes you just have to lie to yourself. But you got to use every kind of muscle in your body to just, you know, whatever you're handed, you just got to say, okay, I, I am going to hope. I am going to make things happen. And then the other kind of counterpart to that, part of that balance thing is, you know, you're, you're not superhuman, and it's okay to take a break. Um, but you got to get back on the road. That's uh, the most important thing, I think. Yeah, just keep moving. Third question, what kind of advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, well here, here's that, and that's not too long ago. Um, but, um, you know, in terms of seeing how everything kind of shaped up the way it was, um, one of my biggest traps was, trying to have things all figured out before I even got there. And that was really paralyzing. I know we all do this, like, oh, you know, um, am I going to make something out of myself? Like, like, should I do this? And, you know, don't think ahead. Don't think about what any step is, is going to add up to. Um, you just take that step and you keep your mind open. Because, you know, I was always anxious that all of these steps would lead to something. 
but I could have never expected it would lead to this. So I would say, you know, plan ahead and, and keep going, but don't try to, you know, think yourself, you know, into fear. Um, just stay open. Great. So you're not a subscriber to the five-year plan. It's more just take the next step and see where it leads. I only because I've learned that usually what that plan is is not what happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fourth question, what kind of advice do you have for your 75-year-old self? Oh, my God. I hope by then that I learn to relax. <laughs> I think that would make my husband happy, too. To go to go to Florida, retire, sit by the pool. Yeah, right. I can't imagine myself <laughs> ever doing that. But something like that. Take a break. <laughs> Put the laptop away. <laughs> um, my last question, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? Ah, oh, firecracker. <laughs> and why? That energizes bunny. I, I literally, I never stop. <laughs> work for me. <laughs> awesome. Amy, this has been amazing. How can people find you if they want more information or to follow you? All right. Well, I got a website, amyoes.com, and there's a lot of stuff in there. There's tons of advice to I have no holding back when it comes to writing. Um, I'm trying to save some for my upcoming book. Uh, but you can subscribe and you'll get some free kind of tips and things like that. Um, also, because your stories were shared, um, I have a feature on my site called the Why Not Wednesday, where every week um, someone writes in, I call them a detourist, and the only requirement is they have to uh, write about some kind of detour in their life and maybe talk about how that detour led to what they're doing today. And it's really helping a lot of other people. And if you want a first step to sharing your story, uh, I don't bite, uh, tell me your story. Um, and uh, yeah, that's all. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I tweet way too much, A-M-Y-O-E-S. Um, but that's because I got kicked out of all the Facebook groups because I post too much. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so uh, say hi. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. I'm really excited to have you on my podcast and share your story with the world. I hope you enjoyed episode two. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. Also, please rate and review my new show so more people can find it. Thanks for listening. And next time, I'll be talking to Suzanne Bates, a professional speaker, five-time author, business owner, and global consultant. Her advice is definitely something you don't want to miss. I also publish a weekly public speaking tip to my email subscribers. If you want in on that, go to my website, AngelaLucier.us, and get on the list. If you'd like to be on my show or recommend someone to be interviewed, please email me at Angela at AngelaLucier.us. Also, please feel free to send questions about public speaking as well. I'd love to have some Q&A episodes. That's it for now. Signing off.